to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to the month of August. The time's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 1st of August. This is Money Talk on Radio 3 with me, Peter Lewis. Official figures published yesterday showed that factory activity on the mainland unexpectedly declined last month while growth in the service sector slowed down. The National Bureau of Statistics said the Purchasing Managers Index for the manufacturing sector came in at 49 last month down from 50.2 in June. The service sector PMI fell to 53.8 from 54.7 in June, but still remained within expansion territory. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said Hong Kong will report a decline in quarterly GDP from a year earlier when the SAR releases economic growth data later today. He said the city's exports, consumption and investments were all affected in the second quarter by interest rate increases in the US and Europe. Mr Chan said later this month the government will revise its economic growth forecast for 2022 as the city's performance is being hit by the worsening global economic situation. Global stocks and bonds rebounded in July from a tough first half of the year, boosted by easing expectations of further aggressive interest rate rises and upbeat earnings from tech and energy companies. The FTSE All World Index of Developed and Emerging Markets rose 6.7% in July, and on Wall Street, July saw the second-best combined US bond and stock monthly return since March 2000. It was beaten only in April 2020. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Louis Coyce, Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. With a view from mainland China is Yan Wu, Chairman of Xiang Wong Bao. On Wall Street on Friday, the S&P 500 rose 1.4% to 4,130, taking its gains for the month of July to 9.1%. That's its biggest monthly gain since November 2020. The Dow climbed 315 points to 32,845, a jump of 6.7% over the month. The Nasdaq Composite Index rallied 1.9% on the day and 12.3% in July, its best month since April 2020. In Europe, the region-wide Stock 600 Index climbed 1.3% Friday and is up 7.6% for July. And the UK's FTSE 100 rose 3.5% in July. Hong Kong stocks, they tumbled on Friday to a nine-week low, dragged down by a sell-off in the tech sector as traders grew concerned about Alibaba ahead of its upcoming earnings release on Thursday and over the restructuring of its fintech arm, Ant Group. The Hang Seng Index dropped 466 points, or 2.3%, to 20,157. For the month of July, the benchmark index lost 7.8%, its worst monthly performance in a year, and it's now down more than 10% from its peak in June, putting it in correction territory. The Hang Seng Tech Index lost 4.9% Friday, taking its monthly decline to 11.1%. Shares of Alibaba were down over 6% in Hong Kong, and the company's ADRs tumbled over 11% in New York. 
Nichuan weakened 6.2% after company officials were summoned by regulators in Huangzhou over practices in food delivery platforms. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index lost 0.9% Friday to 3,253, and it was down 4.3% in July. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is at $110.01 a barrel. That's a decline of over 4% during the month. Copper fell 2.5% in July. Gold traded briefly below $1,700 during the month, but has since rallied back to $1,762 an ounce. The 10-year U.S. Treasury bond yield ended the month 36 basis points below where it started at 2.66%, retreating from a high of 3.48% hit in the middle of the month. And the U.S. dollar index ended marginally higher on the month after early gains were erased. The euro dropped 2.5% in July and it's trading at one dollar two and a quarter cents. The Japanese yen has strengthened two percent to one dollar uh, to one hundred and thirty three point four three, and sterling is unchanged on the month at one dollar twenty one and a half cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and fifty five cents. The Chinese yuan, that's trading at 6.75 in offshore markets this morning. Bitcoin rallied over 25 percent in July to twenty three thousand three hundred dollars. And around Asian stock markets this morning, fairly muted starts. The ASX 200 in Australia up 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan also rising 0.1% shortly after the open. The Cosby in South Korea is down a third of a percent, but looks like some more big falls for the Hang Seng. Futures markets pointing to a 200-point drop at the open this morning. Let's welcome our guests. We have our regular Monday morning commentator, Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning. And also with us, Louis Coyce, Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. Morning, Louis. Welcome back. Morning, Peter. Um, let's look at the uh, the data we had from the mainland first of all. Factory activity unexpectedly declined in July, while growth in the service sector also slowed down. The National Bureau of Statistics said the Purchasing Managers Index for the manuf- manufacturing sector came in at 49 last month. That's down from 50.2. And just a reminder, a reading below 50 indicates contraction, while anything above 50 shows growth. Analysts had expected a marginal improvement in factory activity on the mainland. The reading was the lowest in three months, with sub-indices for output, new orders and employment all contracting. And the service sector PMI fell to 53.8 from 54.7 in July, but still remained within expansion territory. And the composite PMI, which combines the manufacturing and services sector, came in at 52.5 versus 54.1 last month. Alex and Louis, slightly unexpected because other indicators had indicated that maybe the economy was starting to uh, improve. What do you make of this and why why is it uh, looking so weak? I think, uh, first of all, there are two parts uh, for the domestic economy. I think that this is affected by the uh, sentiment in the housing markets. Uh, so uh, that probably would spill over to others' uh, spending as well. Uh, and then for the export part, I think uh, we are seeing some inventory build up at the major retailers in the U.S. So that is also probably affecting the order size. So I think uh, both um, uh, affecting the um, factory activities in China. 
doesn't look like the economic recovery is particularly stable at the moment, does it? Do you, do you get that feeling? Yeah, of course. Uh, right now, I think uh, people are facing quite uncertain uh, uh, futures. So um, there are many factors affecting their decision. So they probably take a step by step wait and see attitude. So that was, would be would, would make the situation more volatile. Louis, what do you think? I think uh, the. You know the the downward pressures are a bit more broader than than in uh, property. The we had a we had a recovery in June after the the slump the the, the COVID slump, but that recovery already started to uh, you know mm-hmm. to weaken again in July when we had newly imposed COVID restrictions in several places. So that sentiment, pretty weak sentiment, people being uh, unsure. I mean, it's very difficult uh, to even go out and spend. Mm. Uh, and it has also added to economic caution. People are worried about their job prospects and things like that. So that COVID-induced uh, weak, COVID stance-induced weakness in sentiment continues to hang over the economy. So what does it mean for growth this quarter, the the third quarter? We're seeing um, government officials warning that uh, the the challenges are increasing uh, for for the economy. What what does this mean, do you think, for this quarter? Well, sequentially, so if you look at things quarter on quarter, we had uh, a pretty large fall of output in the second quarter. We still expect a bit of a recovery, a, a pickup from that, but that is a fairly muted recovery, w- weaker than we saw in 2020. You know, in 2020 yeah. we had a COVID shock, but after that, sentiment and confidence were restored quite decently. Uh, there was also a relatively uh, expansionary policy stance at that time, so we saw a pretty brisk recovery. This time the recovery is is slower, more muted. There's not an awful lot. If you look at the if you look at the factors that that influence demand, right? Uh, Alex already mentioned external demand, in, but and I mentioned that that the factors. Of, uh, you know, impacting domestic demand overall, there's not a lot of uh, vigor over there in terms Mm. of the recovery momentum. So we are looking still at 3.3% growth for the year as a whole. Alex, the the, the, the authorities are being fairly restrained, aren't they, with policy? Uh, they're, They're not really talking up the prospects of stimulus. And then at the same time, we've got the threat of more lockdowns. The Politburo meeting last week re-emphasised uh, that containing COVID is, is really their number one uh, priority. Um, it's it's going to make an economic recovery quite difficult, isn't it, uh, along those uh, with those constraints? Yeah, of course. Uh, right now, it's really constrained. It is a very constrained in, 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 the, in, in the monetary policy as well. And then they insist on the COVID zero, um, zero COVID uh, policy. So that would make the recovery quite tough. And then also they are not coming out to do a big rescue to the property market. So that, I think, is also affecting the sentiment. So right now uh, they are so restrained. So that's why we are seeing a substantial underperformance of uh, Chinese equities in, in Ju- mm. July. And, and what did you make of that Politburo meeting? It, the, the readout of it, um, it, it seemed fairly downbeat. That There wasn't really anything new, was there? It was almost yep. as if the government didn't seem to have any new ideas about what to do uh, in the second half of this year. I think uh, they probably uh, don't want to repeat the mistakes in uh, 2011 because uh, or, or, or 2009, uh, they, they 
they they launched a very huge stimulus, and then they they resulted in um, a huge uh, overcapacity in the manufacturing sector. Mm. So I think that they will let the bubble bars and then uh, try to um, uh, start from scratch from there. So I think uh, this time the the downturn may last uh, for quite some time. What did you make of it, Sir Louis? Am I being unfair here? But I didn't really hear any new ideas from the from the, the readout of that uh, meeting for the economy. It was really staying the course on everything that's been done in the first half of the year. Yeah, it seems that there are two uh, obvious policy messages coming through. One is that, as you said, you know, COVID still dominates everything else, the, the fight against COVID. But then at the same time, there is that reluctance to to be seen as uh, stimulating the economy significantly. Mm-hmm. So if you put the two together, mm-hmm. you know, the, the outlook remains pretty subdued. And, and, as, and, and they kept on re-emphasizing, didn't they? COVID is the main priority, fighting yeah. sort of COVID. So no sign of what people want to see, that some sort of easing of this zero COVID policy. That's right. And what about Hong Kong? Um, Paul Chan said yesterday we're going to report a decline in quarterly GDP. That puts us in a technical recession, doesn't it? He said the city's exports, consumption, uh, investments, all affected in the second quarter by interest rate increases in the US um, and and Europe. What what do you make of that? Well, um, I think on a sequential basis, the second quarter is uh, shows a decent pickup, right? Where the weakness is that we had a huge fall in Q1, and that is still affecting the year-on-year numbers that uh, that that Paul Chan was looking at. Yeah, though, I mean, you know, like Hong Kong is affected in part by what's happening in China, in part by uh, you know lo- local sentiment uh, restrictions. So overall, it, it's a little bit the same picture. It's quite mm. quite uh, muted uh, prospects for now. Alex, what, what do you think? Paul Chan's been quite optimistic. He says that for the second half of the year, things are going to improve, but we have got rising interest rates, and, and surely Hong Kong banks are going to lift the prime rate at some time uh, in the next couple of months, aren't they? What, what do you think the outlook is here? The outlook is, right now is still quite bad, I think, because right now uh, we are not seeing any signs of uh, 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 green suits in, in the meantime. Uh, the interest rate is rising and then the export I think uh, probably slow down and then uh, also the financial market is uh, is, uh, is slow down as well it's slowing down as well so I think uh, the, the outlook is, is, is quite gloomy right now in and, Hong Kong. And how, how much uh, are the rising interest rates um, that we're seeing in the US going to be a problem for um, Hong Kong and for maybe the property market in particular? Uh, for the property market, I don't think uh, we may see a very big correction but uh, of course uh, the pressure is on the, on the downside because of uh, too many homeowners already pay off their mortgages, so I think the selling pressure is not too high, and the and the derivatives here is uh, more financially disciplined than the Chinese uh, counterparts. Mm. So we are, may not see a uh, fire sale, but I think uh, the pressure, of course, is uh, is uh, for a correction. What, what do you think, Louis, about um, both the mainland and and, and the, the local property market? Is it insulated from the problems that are going on on the mainland? And now we've, we're, we're hearing talk about uh, potentially a $150 billion bailout fund to try and help uh, the property sector. Yeah, you know, the property sector on the mainland is really um, in a 
pretty weak position at the moment. Sentiment has been further. I mean, sentiment is got a blow from all these COVID restrictions and and, and what and what they do. But then on mm. top of that, that that uh, mortgage boycott hasn't helped. So my colleagues, uh, our, our property colleagues, have again uh, lowered their forecast for you know um, for housing activity and housing sales uh, for, for this year. Taking into account that the it's going to take some quite some time. Also, with you know the the, the policy measures to to support activity again are relatively contained, right? Not mm. not not very significant. So, yeah, the outlook is quite uh, quite muted. I think you know the direct impact uh, on Hong Kong is probably pretty modest. Like I, I mean, I don't think that Hong Kong-based banks are hugely ex- exposed to the to the Chinese uh, property sector. But, of course, the Hong Kong property sector itself must, I mean, will feel the impact of the higher interest rates. There's no way around that. Mm-hmm. Um, people are making calculations. I mean, the, the, the affordability, if you, I mean, if you look at the, uh, if, if you look at the, uh, you know, how interest costs are rising from a, you know, starting from a very low level, it is quite easy for interest costs to double for for families, and so that is going to impact. We're not talking here about a financial crisis, but really about uh, property property prices, uh, uh, you know, having uh, having to go down quite a bit. Alex, how, how big a problem is this for mainland banks? We're seeing, you know, the price tag every time I look seems to be going up. The last number I saw was maybe three hundred and fifty billion US dollars. Is it a problem for the financial sector? Oh, I think uh, that should not be a b- huge problem because uh, they are they are state-owned banks and they are supported by the states. And mm. and then I think the problem has persisted for quite some time. And and probably they are still uh, capitalized capitalized enough uh, to to sustain this problem. But I don't think uh, the share price would 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 do anything because um, uh, it would hurt the profitability. It may not be a huge systematic risk, but I think uh, this would be a uh, very huge drag on the profitability for, for a long time. So I think uh, they probably may, may become zombie banks, I think. Yeah. Louis, do you think $150 billion, is that going to be enough to lift the property sector out of its slump? It doesn't seem, um, it's a big number, I know, but it doesn't seem like enough given the scale of the problem um, on, on the mainland. And I'm also wondering who would want to go and um, invest in these distressed real estate projects in the first place? No, I mean, it, it won't be enough to, you know, to drag the property sector out of its slump. But then again, that also doesn't seem to have been the uh, the purpose, the the objective. So I guess this is a fairly uh, limited exercise meant to really stop that, uh, th- th- like to deal with that, that mortgage boycott and the spillover yeah. of that. And have maybe help confidence as well is what they're hoping. Yeah, although, you know, like on that front, uh, it, it, it may not be enough. Mm. Alex, tell me a bit about the markets. Uh, first of all, in the US, it was a good month at last, wasn't it, mm. July, uh, for, for US stocks, the best one in, uh, in about two years. Um, are the markets getting this wrong? They're sort of assuming, aren't they, now that the, uh, the Fed is going to be a bit more dovish, not raise interest rates as fast uh, as maybe they were previously uh, fearing. Is that the right way to look at it, or is this all a, a, all a bull trap? I think at least uh, right now probably may, we may enter into a polarized phase. I think uh, this is uh, the uh, results of a uh, split earning season. So people uh, probably at least see the U.S. market as a winner's bull market. So uh, 
company which would survive this recession actually probably may, may enter in, into blue phase now. But uh, the the com- those companies which may not be able to uh, sustain this kind of um, rising rates and 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 higher commodity prices and probably has, has a bit slow down in the economy, I think that they would still remain in the bear market. So the index probably would just uh, dry rate uh, within a broad range uh, day by day. But I I think uh, uh, stocks would be polarized and some stocks actually are already out of the woods. So mm. I think uh, the sentiment actually has improved quite a bit. And what about Chinese markets? They were. Um, really until July, sort of doing okay, weren't they? They'd rebounded from mm. their lows, but now the CSI 300 uh, is down 7% in July. It was, uh, uh, it's given up all of its outperformance. Yep. It's now underperforming the S&P 500 by 16 percentage points. I think China, Chinese shares have re-entered the bear market phase already. So uh, we are affected by the um, weak sentiment in the property market. And also, I think uh, the big techs are, are also um, affecting the sentiment as well. So uh, very likely we would see Chinese shares to continue to underperform. Because mm. right now, um, if you look at the policy side, I think people are giving up hope already. So China probably may just let the property market correct itself and then uh, not doing too enough to, to get it out of the trouble. So I think uh, that would continue to, un, un, uh, to wait on Chinese share sentiments. And so uh, China probably may continue to underperform. And of course, the Hang Seng is now back in correction territory, down 10% from its July peak. Yeah, I think uh, there are still way to go. Uh, we may revisit the, 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 this year lower eventually. Okay, well, thank you both very much. There, Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company, and Louis Coyce, chief Asia economist at S and P Global Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. RTHK Radio Three. Time's eight twenty-four. On the phone from Beijing is Yan Wu, the chairman of Zhengrong Bao. Morning, Yan. Morning, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Let me get your thoughts, first of all, on the PMI data uh, that came out yesterday. Uh, Factory activity is now in contraction. The services sector uh, slowed also, although it did remain in expansionary territory. Are you surprised by these uh, these figures? Yeah, definitely it's uh, below the market expectation for the July PMI number. Uh, if you go back to the June PMI number, that was the first month going to expansion after three months contraction. So now July number, again, below the expansion decline line. Uh, but if you look at the details of the PMI numbers, as seen, there are two uh, important messages. One is that the upstream is much weaker than the downstream uh, in the many in the certain in the sectors if you look at the uh, uh, oil and uh, coal and the other upstream especially on the production side the production order is down three percent uh, you know compared to uh, June and uh, also the new order number is down almost 1.9 percent uh, mm. compared to June so uh, so that uh, shows the upstream is weaker and the production and new orders are much weaker as well. So if you consider this, uh, the uh, commodity price going down, so the upstream manufacturers uh, have less willingness to expand. And the demand side is relative to weak, as you just mentioned. So mm-hmm. both uh, shows the PMI, uh, the activity is contraction again. 
And, and what is it going to take to get manufacturers to start reinvesting again, to start rebuilding their inventories? What, what's it going to take? What do they want to see? Yeah, I think the uh, the the puzzle is still on the demand side. So now the, I think the you know the mainland uh, the COVID uh, quarantine measures are still implemented. So and also the willingness to consume on the demand side. Also the uh, you know property sector also got problems. So the both uh, shows the demand side has not been activated yet. Given the current COVID uh, uh, policy environment, mm. so I think that uh, PMI the, uh, to go back to expansion still depends on the demand side to pick up. And uh, the only number in July around PMI and details is the uh, the construction activity number, which is higher than June, two point six percent, go to uh, reaching fifty nine point two percent. So that's because of the construction was the only uh, uh, sector probably has uh, uh, doing expansion in, mm. in July. And that probably the second half uh, has to rely upon cons- uh, the construction more, more importantly. And what did you make of the Politburo meeting last week that was talking about um, the, the economy? The message that seemed to be coming out of that was the main priority is still fighting COVID uh, and sticking with the zero COVID policy. No uh, talk of any more stimulus or policy changes even. It was really sticking with the same policies from the first half of the year. Yeah, you're right. Uh, just uh, two uh, signals, I would say, uh, from this political meeting, uh, bureau of meeting notes, if you read uh, in details. One is the first time uh, as the uh, meeting goes to emphasize more on the demand side rather than supply side. So I think this is probably the beginning. Uh, for the past few years, uh, always mentioned about supply side reform. And now uh, the political bureau recognized it's really the demand side has is the main uh, issue or problem mm-hmm. right now in the economy. If you remember the beginning of this year, the uh, uh, the uh, there are three major risks the government em- emphasized. One is the supply shock. Second is the demand uh, weak the contraction, and third is the expectation weakness. So now supply shocks is basically. Uh, I think cool down given the all the factors have been priced in. So now it's on the demand side. So I think the political bureau want to emphasize that the demand side has to uh, do something. And second message is about stabilization. Uh, it's about stabilizing property sector, financial system, and especially the empl- employment uh, as well. So mm-hmm. it tried to control the unemployment rate in the second half within 5.5%. So there's not much new information, I would say, from meeting those. It's more about hedging the risk in the economy. And what do you make of this uh, this rumoured plan to try and um, mobilise up to maybe $148 billion of loans for stalled property developments? Is is that going to work? Yeah, I think the uh, the 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 special bond uh, the loan it's really trying to uh, I think resolve some problems, especially on the property sector. The so-called 300 billion RMB emergency fund, and that uh, uh, some of that will be on to the sh- so-called shanty town renovation bond. 
mm-hmm. special loans. And, uh, but uh, if you look at the whole sector, public sector is uh, around at least 10 trillion, uh, you know, liabilities. So for the banks and the financial system, it's, uh, you know, this 300 billion R&D is not uh, just uh, enough. Mm. And uh, once again, the the the, pro- the real estate company is the major obstacle right now. So trying to restructure the risk and also to release some risk, uh, given the special loan and bond or the emergency fund. Okay, Yan, and thank you very much indeed. That's Shannon Wu. That's Shannon Wu, Chairman of Zhengrong Bao. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, uh, slight gains now. The ASX 200 in Australia up about a third of a percent. The K225 is pretty flat. Uh, the Cosby up about 0.1%, but it does look like the Hang Seng is going to see further losses this morning of about 180 points when the market gets going in just under an hour's time. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Mike Rouse. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. The weather forecast, it's going to be fine. Isolated showers, very hot once again. Uh, the maximum temperature about 34 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. That very hot weather warning is still in force. It's going to remain very hot tomorrow. Uh, showers and thunderstorms in the middle and latter parts of this week. The temperature right now is 30 degrees, 72% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The Hong Kong Rugby Union, which organizes the Hong Kong Sevens, says it expects there will be fewer overseas visitors to the tournament this year, given the city's quarantining of arrivals. But the union's chief executive, Robbie McRobbie, says he anticipates strong local demand for the event, which takes place in November for the first time since 2019. Mr. McRobbie said the event would be COVID compliant, meaning under current rules, venue capacity is capped at 85 percent. People must wear masks when not eating and drinking. He also said international teams supported being in a closed loop system. Clearly, the COVID mitigation measures um, are expensive. There's no getting away from from that. The closed-loop model um, does involve uh, taking over an entire quarantine hotel um, for the duration of the the stay of the teams. Uh, So there there are significant costs that will be incurred through that. Um, Look, we we wouldn't have pushed the button if we, we weren't confident that we can Center for Health Protection says nearly 1,500 people with COVID are now being treated at public hospitals, 12 of whom are in intensive care. With more patients on wards, the chief manager at the hospital authority, Gladys Kwan, said they're stepping up testing requirements for staff. For our staff now, apart from the daily rapid antigen test, they have to have the PCR test twice every week. And we already covered those colleagues who are taking care of the high-risk group patients. And these plans will continue to expand. So starting from next week, we are going to cover all the A&E colleagues, as well as those who are outreach to those residential and resident homes. So we will review the effectiveness and see if we can further expand. Health authorities reported 4,634 new COVID cases yesterday. The American actress Nichelle Nichols, best known for playing Lieutenant Uhura on the original 60s Star Trek series, has died at the age of 89.
She was one of the first black actresses on American television to play a figure of authority and help make history in the 1968 episode when she kissed the white captain of Starship Enterprise, played by William Shatner. The BBC's Nick Hyam reports. It wasn't the first interracial kiss on American television. There'd been at least two earlier ones, but Nichelle Nichols' clinch with William Shatner made the biggest impact, helping to overturn taboos and challenge the racial attitudes that permeated American television and American society at large. Reputedly, she'd wanted to quit Star Trek after its first series. She was dissuaded by no less a figure than the civil rights leader, Martin Luther King, who told her she was too important as a role model for young black women. The news from RTHK.